Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Calling all cars. A copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Look, I'm asleep calling all cars. Attention, all cars. Broadcast 159. A killing, Tony Morelli, found on the Ninth Street Bridge. It looks like a gangster killing. That is all, Harmon. Let me ask you, why do you go to the movies? Why are you tuned in to this broadcast? It is because human beings crave the dramatic. We all enjoy the colorful, the romantic, the stirring moments of life. In the most ordinary situations, there can be drama to enrich life experience, even in such a simple situation as driving your car. It is no misstatement to say that some gasolines are dramatic, and some are woefully undramatic. Rio Grande cracked gasoline is indeed dramatic. It is the gasoline of police car performance. It has been specified month after month for emergency use by police of such cities as Oakland, Berkeley, Fresno, Los Angeles, Phoenix, San Diego County, Orange County, Maricopa County, Arizona, and many, many other cities and counties. Can you imagine anything more stirring in everyday affairs than to drive a police car chasing criminals or a fire engine rushing to save property or an ambulance speeding to save a life? Yet you can have the same dramatic performance in your own car every day, everywhere you go. For independent Rio Grande dealers offer you exactly the same Rio Grande cracked gasoline that powers more police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment wherever it is sold than any other brand. Why don't you enjoy police car performance in your car? Once again, it is our pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. Tonight, you will hear the story of a man who was too weak to resist the magnetic pull of easy money. He wasn't a Dillinger, a baby-faced Nelson, or a cold-blooded killer. Yet his crime was just as brutal as any of these gangsters might perpetrate. Even worse was the fact that he broke a trust not only with himself, but with society as a whole, by using his badge of authority as a means of protection. It is hard to believe that any individual, faced constantly with proofs of the stupidity of crime, could defy every tradition and resort to a criminal act. Yet that is just what happened. What his reward for this move was will be told in tonight's story of the criminal policeman.
early morning in August 1921. In the office of the Homicide Detail in Los Angeles, Detectives Hamilton and Rico idly thumb through reports in an effort to pass the hours away until the dawn shift is over. Let me get a line on that bed you're looking for. Remember the guy that was going around busting people over the head and then running? Oh, we got a line on him, but I guess he got wise. He just quit appearing. Funny. Never did make much sense to me anyway. You never tell what these nuts are liable to do. Well, I'd almost be glad to have another one turn up right now. This dawn grind gets me down. Ooh, what time do you make it? Well, it'll be getting along. Yeah, 4.30. Yeah, well, won't be long before the boys will be coming in and then watch my smoke. Bacon and eggs and a great big help and a shut eye. <laughs> I get it. Homicide, Rico. Coleman Beaumont. I just found a body out on the 9th Street Bridge. Why don't you call the morgue? This is a detective bureau. Because this guy's got three holes in him made by high-powered bullets. It struck me that you might be interested. Okay, Bomar, stick right there. We'll be out in a minute. Huh, something? Well, some guy stopped a barrage of lead out on the 9th Street Bridge. Better take a run out and look him over. I was afraid something would happen to spoil my breakfast. <laughs> Detective Rico, what's this fellow you called about? Over there in the gutter. I uh, hadn't moved him, just made sure he was dead. That couldn't be hard. Hey, he really got it. I know this guy. It's Tony Morelli. What's his claim to fame? He had a record. Pull in a couple of times for the last me, and lately we picked him up on suspicion of bootlegging. He's got friends, though, and we haven't been able to pin anything on him. Well, looks as though his friends decide to fix things up. Yeah, it's a record killing, all right. Three slugs clear through him. Whoever did it wanted to be pretty sure he didn't have any time to talk before he bumped. Any witnesses, Boma? Not that I knew of. I didn't see anybody around when I spotted them. Well, you better phone for the morgue wagon. Hey, Tony has a wife and brother living over the other side of town. What do you say we take a run over and see them? Okay. Boma, you stick around and see what you can learn from the people around here that might have heard the shots. Come on, Rico. Looks like Mrs. Morelli is the next stop. <laughs> Much, do you? I like him. I hate 
Uh, perhaps you better come down to headquarters and make out a report of all this. All right. Oh, I don't think there's much to this, Rico. Stevens was investigating the bootlegging going on around here. He probably had something on these people, and they want to put him on a spot. Yeah, we'll check with him when we get back to the station. You're set, Mr. Morelli. We'll take a run down to Central. That's all right with me. Just a cop. Bump off on my brother, Tony. I'm going to see that he gets the payback. He couldn't do that and get away with it.
Detective Rico and Hamilton interview Stevens' witnesses and find his story substantiated in every way. They claim that they were in Casper's, where they stopped at a hotel and had some drinks with a party they knew. A check by police finds this to be true. Stevens indeed has the perfect alibi.
Out of the spectrum, Stephen. And so when the doorbell rang. Hi, Addie. I got a friend with me. He's going with us. Tony, this is Addie Spencer. Addie, meet Tony Morelli. How do you do, Mr. Morelli? Come in, won't you? No, we haven't got time. Get your things and come on out the car. We're going out to Chatsworth and have a time. Well, come in and have a drink first. It'll take me a minute to get my face on. All right, if you say you got a drink, we'll come in with pleasure, huh, Tony? Uh, you bet you're my life. That's a good idea. Yes, sure. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, Richard Licker. Mm. Don't mind Tony, Eddie. He's a little drunk, but it's all right. It's all right with me. You have to sober yourself. What do you mean, I'm not sober? You don't think the few drinks I've had tonight are going to flatten me, do you? Well, I've never seen you when you weren't half-lit, but I don't care. I'd have sure. What do you care for anyway, huh? Stevens, he's a good fellow, sure, sure. <laughs> he's a very good fellow, even if he's a cop, yeah. All right, Tony, <laughs> keep yourself to yourself. Huh? I told you I didn't want you to go around spouting about mine being on the fourth. Not good business. Here you are, boys. Wrap yourselves around these while I get a bit of powder on. I want to be a minute. Well, Tony, happy, happy. That's right. Happy, happy. Come on, let's get drunk and break things. No huh? breaking tonight, Tony. Huh? We're out for a good time. Hey, that's the trouble with you. All the time afraid that you have a little fun. You're just a lot of talk. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Tony, if you weren't so drunk, I'd show you how much talk I am. Well, I'm not half so drunk as you think, huh? I'm not so drunk. I don't remember a couple of things that you told me that you, you wouldn't want certain people to know. Shut up. What's the matter, huh? You afraid I'm going to spill it, huh? Tony, for the last time, Tony, keep that mouth of yours shut or I'll shut it permanently. Ah, oh, what's the matter? Here, here. What do you boys want to be arguing for? Come on. Finish those drinks and let's go. Okay, okay, Addie. But remember, Tony, I'm not fooling about what I said. If you want to remain healthy, keep your mouth buttoned. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right, all right, forget it. Come on, Eddie, we're off in a cloud of smoke. You and Tony get in the back seat, Eddie. We're picking up Ed Stickle. He's going with us. Who is he? That's some oil, your business. Pile in, Eddie. All right, come on. You all step back there? Sure, we're nice and happy, eh, Eddie? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Everything is all right now. Yeah. I'll you, my lad. How do you like the way this bus rambles? I think you're driving too fast. Remember, you, you've been drinking? Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen. What would your policeman friends say if they caught you? <laughs> I wouldn't like that, eh? Oh, lay off of him, will you? That's right, Annie. Stick up for Papa. Sure, sure. A very funny picture that would have made, huh? <laughs> Promising a young police officer arrest for a driving while drunk. <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> ah, what's up now? This is where we pick up Ed, that's all. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ed. Come on, make it fast. Be right with you. Hold everything. You remember Ed, don't you, Eddie? Sure, I know him well. Not too well, I hope. Oh, don't be silly. Okay, open the doors and let me in. Hey. Hello, Eddie. How's things? Hello, Ed. Not bad. Ed, the guy in the back is Tony Morelli. Tony, meet Ed Stickle. Sure, some glad to meet you. Yeah. Where are we heading for? Out to Chetworth. There's a barbecue out there. I thought we might take it in and get a bit blind. Might be fun. Yeah. You're not doing too badly by that getting blind business right now. How many are you down tonight, eh? Not so many. I'm all right. Sure, he's a plenty drunk. Yeah. Hey, he's a think I'm a drunk. 
But he's the one that takes the drunk, you know. <laughs> he's a just a big flat to put on the loose. Tony, <laughs> I'm telling you to shut up, and I mean it for the last time. Terry? Hey, uh, what's the matter with you? Can you take a little joke? This is no joke. Are you going to keep that cap shut? Hey, watch yourself, Charlie. You're in the Ninth Street Bridge, you know. Not out in a stick somewhere. I don't care where I am. I'm tired of that guy back there making crack at me. Uh, just the copper that can't take it. <laughs> hey, what's up, Charlie? <laughs> Are you going to stop laughing at me? <laughs> Look out, Eddie. <laughs> That's what I do to guys. I don't know when to stop. Come on. Drag that dirty rat out here in the gutter. Finish him, Ed. Take this gun. Okay. Thank you. 
and the hunt turns once again with renewed interest to Charles Stevens, fugitive from justice. Clue after clue is run down only to prove to be a false alarm. Detectives follow a man answering Stevens' description halfway across the continent, only to find on close, close scrutiny that he is not the wanted suspect. In Los Angeles, Lieutenant Bedford has discovered a man who knows Stevens. Together they rush to the High Sierras, where it is said that Stevens has a shack. But upon their arrival, they are told their man has eluded them by a matter of ten hours, but that he had been seen buying a ticket to Sacramento on the train. Acting on this information, Lieutenant Ledbetter immediately wires Harry Hickok of the State Identification Bureau, telling him to be on the lookout for Stevens at the station. Hickok, wasting no time, gathers two of his associate officers and drives to the station, where they watch inbound trains arrive. What time do you make it, Jim? 3.25 by my watch. Right on time. Hey, you sure you know what this bird looks like? Yeah, I got a picture of him here from the mud book. Right. You want to take any chances of missing him. All the men set? All set. Keep your eyes open now. If you spot him, grab my arm and we'll nab him before he has a chance to pull anything. Right. Hey, there he is. Come on. Good boy, Jim. You take him by the left arm. I'll grab his right. Okay. Grab him. Keep on walking, Stephen. We've got you. Hey, what's the idea? You haven't got anything on me. Are you coming along quietly, Stephen, or do we have to take you? I don't know what you're talking about. What's the charge? Let those braces on him, Jim. Just for precaution. There you are, Mr. Stevens. Right where you belong. On the wrong side of a pair of police handcuffs. Stevens has returned at once to Los Angeles, where he is scheduled to face trial on a charge of first-degree murder. All through the preliminary days of the trial, he sits mugly listening to the testimony steadfastly denying any knowledge of the crime. But in the minds of the police, this man is no ordinary criminal. He is a fellow officer who has violated his trust. And finally, as the last rays of sun are filtering through the windows into the hushed courtroom, Charles Stevens, ex-officer and murderer, stands silently in front of Judge W.V. Tryon to receive his sentence. You thought because you wore a police uniform that you were beyond the law. You violated your oath to enforce law and order. You violated the commandment, thou shalt not kill. You sought immunity from your crimes behind the uniform you disgraced. But the law applies to every one of us, to the policeman as well as to the civilian. Because you acted beyond the law, Charles Stevens, and killed a man not in the line of duty, you are to pay the extreme penalty. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck until death. <laughs> the decision in the highest court of the land, and as a result, his sentence was commuted by the governor to life imprisonment. We in the police department are faced daily by proof that crime never pays, so it is a rare exception when a member of our own organization steps outside the law, as did ex-officer Charles P. Stevens, whose story has just been told. Our relentless pursuit and capture of the man proves that even those on the inside cannot commit crime and get away with it. In an organization such as ours, numbering over 2,500, the law averages selects some men 
who are too weak to resist the temptations which daily beset underpaid and unappreciated policemen. Our men, jealous of their reputation for integrity, are quick to oust any offender against our code. Thank you, Chief Davis. As this half hour draws to a close, may I emphasize what I told you at the beginning of this program. Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline lifts you out of the realm of the ordinary. It is the only gasoline you can buy that gives you police car performance. Thousands of motorists are finding this out and will never again be satisfied with slow-burning, sluggish, undramatic gasoline. Rio Grande Cracked has recently made greater gains than any gasoline on the Pacific coast. Thousands of motorists are learning, too, that they can't buy better motor oil than those sold by Rio Grande independent dealers. Sinclair, Pennsylvania, and Sinclair Opaline. Both de-waxed, both de-jellied. Both refinery-sealed and tamper-proof tanned. And here is an announcement of extraordinary importance. If you are saving police money for junior detective and G-man outfits, turn in your coins before December 31st. All these free gifts are illustrated in Calling All Cars News, that thrilling publication of movie, radio, and detective stories. Get a copy from your nearest independent Rio Grande dealer, and be sure your request for free gifts is postmarked before midnight, December 31st. attention all cars a cancellation broadcast 159 suspect in this case is now in custody that is all Harmon this is your narrator Frederick Lindsley 